All those beautiful children can go to children's church. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Praise the Lord for kids. Remember that old, was it the Oak Ridge Boys that sang, Thank God for Kids? Yeah, I think it was Oak Ridge Boys. We actually played that at uh, Jimmy's baby dedication. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Amen. You ever thought about who you wanted to be if, in a Bible character? If you could be one of the Bible characters, which one would it be? Probably not Zacchaeus. He wouldn't want to be a short guy up in a tree. No, he wouldn't want to be Jonah. That doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> not Job, Thomas. No, no thanks. Uh, you, you think about uh, Elijah and Elisha, the power of those men. It was like they commanded the, the power of God wherever they went. Uh, they, you know, opened the eyes of the blind and... and uh, uh, you know, closed the eyes of the of of some that of the armies. They they cause a, a axe handle to float. So much that they were able to do. You look at these people like Moses, who actually spoke to God face to face. I keep hearing myself. It's re- it sounds really weird. Very distracting. We get to hear this sermon twice. Yes. You think, think of, of Moses up on that mountain and he actually gets to see God's back and, and the miracles and the things that he saw. I think if most people, if they asked, were asked, they would probably say they would want to be the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Look at all the things that he did. Such a powerful man of God. Uh, to, to actually have God stop him on a road and speak to him. But I think I find myself probably, um, I don't know, I, I seem to be more like a Peter. Kind of impulsive, kind of erratic, kind of stepping in it time and time again. Thank you, my wife. <laughs> Peter was one of them, an apostle, a disciple, and later an apostle, one that did miracles, great, powerful things, but man, he was human. He was so human. He did things in such a a human way, uh, reactionary. And it seemed like Peter was the one, in my mind, that God had to bring him the furthest because of his own character flaws. I want to look in John chapter 16 real quick. A very common passage of Scripture, and I just want to read one verse. One verse. John 16 and 33. And I pray this helps you today. Because I want you to know that God knows who you are. Whether you're that structured, organized, disciplined Paul, or you're the erratic, irrational, and, and unorganized and undisciplined Peter. You're still God's child. He is still, he's okay with you. John 16, it says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. 
In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Father, I ask God that you will open your truth to us today. Give us something that we need. Speak to our hearts and our souls. Change us. Mold us. Make us. Chasten us. Teach us today, Lord. We just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if you had never gotten saved? <laughs> now, we often say, man, if, where I would be if, I, if God had not a, got a hold of me. And I, and I feel like that. I, I was on a train wreck course in my life before Jesus Christ got a hold of my life. But we also have to realize that there's a whole lot of unsaved people that just live normal lives. They have jobs, they raise families, they, you know, they have businesses, they do well, things are okay in their life, you know, they're relatively happy and, and all that. They, it's not the case in every single life that the person's life was going to be a shipwreck if they didn't get saved. Now, ultimately, they were going to go to hell, which to me is a pretty good shipwreck. But, I mean, as they live a normal life, being saved doesn't necessarily save you from a, a horrible ter, 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 terrorizing life, just getting saved. And I want you to realize that getting saved doesn't necessarily mean your life gets easier. I want you to picture a couple of guys on a boat. They're out fishing. They're making a living just like you and I do when we go. Well, most of you people are retired. But so some of us do. We go out and, and work every, you know, on a job, and we're doing our thing, and one day these guys are out fishing, they're making a living, they're, 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 they're providing food for the family and, and doing their thing, and all of a sudden Jesus walks along the shore, and he calls out to them and says, follow me. Hmm. If somehow Peter could have seen what was going to happen if he said yes, would he have done it? Hmm. Now you got to realize, if he had not followed Christ, what would have happened? He would have continued to fish. He would have continued to, to take care of his responsibilities and do his thing. And he might have had a perfectly happy life. Who knows? But because he got off that boat and he went and followed Jesus, his life changed. And a lot of people would say it didn't change for the better. Things got pretty hard in his life after that. Things got pretty difficult. We like to think that it's, you know, the, the old book, Your Best Life Now. Well, God doesn't promise us our best life now. And sometimes following God costs us everything. And sometimes following Christ makes our life far more difficult than it did before we followed Christ. And you know... I'm sure Peter envisioned great things, and we've done this. If you were going to go into a career, if you had something that you were going to do, you probably dreamed about it when you were thinking, oh boy, you know, uh, I get to do this job, and you dreamed about this is going to be awesome. I, you know, I'm going to be a cop. I'm going to save the world from bad guys. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to defeat bad guys and catch them. And it's nothing like that in real life. 
It just doesn't really work that way at all. And I'm sure Peter was envisioning this. And we, we, I'm pretty sure that it was more than just a man walking on the beach and saying, follow me. And the two guys jumped over the, uh, over the side of the boat and followed him. There's probably more to that conversation than what the Bible actually uh, gives us insight into. But what Peter did that day, I'm sure he had visions because Jesus said, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter, I bet his mind was full of Colosseums being full. He was going to proclaim the truth and people are going to swarm to God because of Peter's life. (coughs) Unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. And Peter was Mr. Impulsive. But that impulsiveness gave Peter opportunities that nobody else had. You know, there's only two people in the history of the world that ever walked on water. Jesus and Peter. Peter was the one when they're out there and Jesus says, come unto me. And everybody else is hiding. And Peter says, okay, I'll do it. I'm cool. He's that one. You know, you had one in school. That was that kid that would do anything. If you dared him, he went. You were probably him or her. (laughs) Peter was the one. Well, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I'm going. I'm going to try this thing out. And he hit that water and it was like, huh. That's all right. Hey, this is pretty cool. But pretty soon he's seeing the waves and he see, and you know the story. He sees what's happening around him and pretty soon he starts to lose sight on Christ and he starts to sink and everybody wants to focus on the fact that Peter lost sight of Jesus and he sank and Jesus had to reach down and grab him. And that seems to be the focus all the time. I'm stuck on the idea that a man walked on water. I'm like, wow, that dude walked on water. I don't care if it was two steps. That is one serious great dude in my mind. That is cool that he walked on water. That was Peter. He was that type that could do that. He walked on water. He performed miracles. He, he, he saw all those great things. But because he followed Christ, he had to sleep on rocks. He had to be a, a vagabond and just travel around and wander around. He didn't have any roots. But he got to see the Mount of Transfiguration. How would you like to be up on that mountain and all of a sudden Elijah shows up, Moses show up, and you're like, oh, I don't even know how he knew who they were. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they never met, but somehow God had revealed that that's who they were right there. And, And he got to see that because he followed God. And then he went and he lived through the betrayal that came because he was a follower of Christ. He watched as his Lord was betrayed. And he, in fact, himself betrayed God. He, he lost his mentor. He lived in a, in a weight of guilt and shame and, and hurt and confusion and fear. He lost so much. And eventually, according to history, Peter was crucified. And refused to be crucified the way Christ was crucified. And he was crucified upside down. Is what history tells us about him. And so that day when he jumped over the side of the boat and said, Okay, I'll follow you. If he would have known all that he was going to do, would the walking on the water be worth it? Would the Mount of Transfiguration be worth it? Would, Would walking with Christ every day be worth it to him? I would think so. But I don't know. I can't speak for... Peter. But I can tell you what happened when Jesus sat him down in, in Matthew 16. And it says, and when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
saying, Whom do men say that I, that the, I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter, being the one, the one that always jumps in and says, And he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was the one who spoke up and said, you're it. You're everything. You're the one that we've been looking for our whole lives. Our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents have been looking and waiting for you. You are the one. You are the called one. You are the anointed one. You are the one to come and redeem Israel. You are everything. Peter was looking at him and realizing that this was the one that he had his whole life was about. Knowing God. And Jesus said, you know this not because of yourself, but because God has revealed it to you. Do you know that you're sitting here today because the the Lord God has revealed truth to you? You didn't get up one day and say, I think I'm going to be a Christian starting today. The Spirit of the Lord had been working inside of you. The Bible tells us that no man comes to Christ except he is drawn by the Father. The Father pulls him in. You didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a child of God. God grabbed your heart and He started to reveal truth to you and He starts to pulling you in and He starts working circumstances so that truth starts to, to happen. And the Bible says that if, if, if we're blind, it's because our, our minds have been blinded by, the, by Satan so we're unable to see the truth. But God opens those eyes. You didn't open your eyes. God opened your eyes. Peter understood truth not because of himself, but because God had opened his eyes and he understood what was going on. If God is working in your life, and he is, to draw you to him, and he is, it is because he is working that in your life. You don't initiate it. You don't make it happen. He reveals truth to you. And he draws you to him. And then Jesus says something incredible to Peter. Something he never said to anyone else. He looks at Peter and he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now we can get into volumes of theological debate about what Jesus was saying right there. I'm silly enough to think he meant what he said. I think he was looking at Peter, impulsive, imperfect, uh, messed up, undisciplined, uncontrolled Peter, and he said, I'm going to build my church on you. Now, am I, am I taken away from the, the other aspect? No, there's, a, there's the other side that says Jesus is the rock and the church will be built on that rock. But God didn't build the church on uh, just a spirit being God. He used flesh and blood to build that church. It took flesh and blood to establish the church on the earth. The Spirit of God working through humans to make the church happen. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, you're going to be the one. Why didn't he pick anyone else? Why not John? Why not, why not Bartholomew? Why, why, why Peter? I think Peter's the one that will get it done. Funny thing about impulsive folks, they tend to get things done. <laughs> they tend to just make it happen. And he looks at Peter and he says, I'm going to build this church and I'm going to use you. You're going to be the one. 
You know what happens when God tells you you're about to do something great? You better hold on and buckle your seatbelt, put your armor on, put on your bulletproof vest because the devil is going to come in any way he possibly can come. He's going to hit you so many ways. We often envision, God says, I want you to do whatever. I want you to build a, a mission in Bolivia. And we're like, oh man, it's great. We have dreams of this awesome experience that we're going to have building a mission in Bolivia. This is going to be amazing. And then real life sets in. And the devil hits you in every way that he can possibly hit you. And all of a sudden you're alone and you feel like nobody else is with you, and you have adversity every moment and every step, and you fight and you labor and you struggle and you battle just to get this thing done, and you say, God, why in the world did you, are you making this so hard? You told me you wanted this mission in Bolivia. And God says, don't worry about it. There will be a mission in Bolivia. Just hold on. Just hold on. You'll be okay. It'll happen. So when God calls you to do something great, you better re be ready. The battle's going to rage. And you know where the battle's going to start? Right here in you. It's going to start in you. We, we struggle with controlling ourselves far more than we struggle with controlling anything else. Things that happen in our lives, the, the way that uh, we, I don't know, we, we, we tend to, uh, to look at, the, well, you know, let's look at Peter. Good old Peter. You know, we see in this situation... Uh, Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time forth be began Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third again on the third day. And Peter took him. This is Jesus Christ, the King, God Almighty in the flesh, giving a prophecy. He is saying this is what's going to happen. What does Peter do? He corrects him. That's what he does. He straightens Jesus out. At least that's what he tries to do. Jesus, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. You are a man when you stand before Almighty God and you rebuke him. <laughs> you, you are the man. It doesn't usually work out well. And he said, he began to rebuke him, saying, far, Be far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. He had taken this thing. God said, upon you I will build my church. And Peter got that chest puffed out. That head got big. He got arrogant. And he said, oh man, I am the man of God. I am the man of God. I'm the man for the hour. You know what happens when we get that way? God has to kick our legs out from under us. It's kind of part of the process, you know. It's, it's just one of those things that we tend to do as humans when we think, man, I've got it together. God and I've got a thing going. i got something that you don't have in God. It's just me and God. We are set. We are powerful. And God goes, Pew! and knocks us down to the ground and says, now, little boy, let me show you how it's really going to be. And Peter had to get humbled. He had to get broken. He had to get to that point where he realized that I'm not in charge of this. See, we so often want to tell God how our future is going to be. You know, we're a young child, a young, young person. We're in the teenagers. We're, we say, hey, I'm going to go be an architect. I can't wait. God, I want you to make me the best architect in the whole wide world. God, you just be upon me. I want to be successful. I want to be, I want to be the best architect the world's ever seen before. And God said, that isn't even in my plan. 
I got something totally different for you. That's not even where I'm going. Like an old preacher I heard say, he said one of the, the problems we have is that we want to build and we want to do and we want to start these programs and all this stuff and then pray and ask God to bless what we're doing. When we should be praying that God will lead us into what He's blessing. And we go about it totally the wrong way. Peter had it all in himself. He, his mind, his, his, his pride had gotten in the way and he was trying to actually tell God how the future is going to be. Let me tell you, God, how I'm my future. Let me tell you where I'm going, God. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Let me tell you what I'm going to accomplish. And he started to get that, and he boasts in himself. He gets arrogant in himself. Matthew 26, 31 says, And then, then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Oh, P- Peter still had that big head. And he said, Oh, God, not me. You must be talking about these yahoos back here. Yeah, you're not talking about me, God. Uh, we got a thing going. You remember building the church upon me and all that? You remember what you said? Oh, yeah. You and I got a thing going. I'm not going to deny you. How in the world would I be the, the rock of the church if I deny you? I'm not going to deny you. It ain't going to happen. There is no way. He was resting in his own spirituality. He was becoming, the old saying is, uh, so heavenly minded is no earthly good. Yeah, I think that's how the old term goes. Have you ever met somebody that is just so spiritual that they drive you nuts? You go up to them and you say, hey, how you doing today? Well, this is the day the Lord has made. How's the family? God has blessed us and our quiver is full. You know, everything turns into some crazy. And then you're like, "Ah, can we just talk without sounding like we're angelic or something? Can we just be human here for a second? Peter had become so arrogant, hyper-spiritual. He was the man, and he was so sure that nothing that was going to happen, he would deny Christ. But see, Peter had it all worked out in his mind of how things were going to unfold. If you want to have a problem with your relationship with God, you just plan how everything's going to unfold, and you decide this is how it's got to be. Because I will 100% guarantee you I'll stand before you and tell you right now, whatever way you think it's going to work out, it ain't. It's not going to go the way you thought it was going to go. God has an amazing way of making things go quite different than you ever thought it was going to happen. And Peter had it in his mind. Jesus is going to take over. He's going to set up his kingdom in this earth. He's going to rule from here. I'm going to be right on his right hand side. I'm going to be there with him. We're going to, man, we are about to see some things happen. Not the way things worked out. And And the Lord said unto Simon, Behold, Satan has desired to have you. Now, this is an arrogant, pompous guy who was so in tune with God, he was floating above everybody else. You know the old phrase, used to go around Pentecostal circles, uh, God has taken you to a new level? I cringed every time I heard somebody say that. And they used to do that to the teenagers. God has moved you to a new level. Really? So all the other teenagers are down here and you're up here. I don't think it works that way. 
I, I, I hated that whole idea, that reference that we would do. And you know who got up here on this level? Well, you know what it did to them? It destroyed them. Almost every single time they thought they had become better and greater and more powerful and more spiritual than all the other teenagers in the whole, uh, whole church, and it ended up destroying them. Peter was there, and Jesus had to bring him down, and he said, Satan has desired to have you. He's fighting for you. He wants you. He's coming after you. That he may sift you as wheat. Anybody use a sift? You put all that in, and it just is it's nothing but powder coming out. Nothing left of substance. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And then to really just slam him, to, to really just knock his feet out from under him, Jesus says, and when thou art converted, <laughs> strengthen my brethren. When thou art converted, when you really turn your life back to God. In the, in the, the, the actual Greek there, it's, it's more like a redeemed or restored. When you're restored, when you come back, when this arrogant, egotistical, hyper-spiritual nonsense is over with, and you really come back, then feed my sheep. You're like, wait a minute. How does this fit into this whole plan? This is not where I'm supposed to be. I am, I am your guy, Jesus. I'm your guy. And Jesus says, you have got to be humbled. You have got to be brought down. You have got to be made and molded in a way that I can use you. And I can't use you the way you are. When we are arrogant, when we think we're above the other people that we sit with in church... We are in a position that God can't use us. I have met many of them in my day. And honestly, they become useless in the kingdom of God because they think they are so spiritual. They have got this thing figured out. And they don't. Peter's like, what are you talking about? His response was, what are you talking about? I'm ready to go to prison with you, God. I'm ready to go to prison or death. For you, Lord, I am ready to go. No matter what is going to happen, I'm ready to go with you. Jesus had to just shake his head. said, before the cock crows, you are going to deny me thrice. What? I am not going to deny you. I am not going to do that. We'll go out in a blaze of glory. You know what happened in the garden? They got there to the garden. Jesus was betrayed. The soldiers come. Now we sanitize this scene. We, we see it in a, in a picture or in a book and you see a bunch of soldiers standing around. You see Jesus and the disciples standing around. Everything's cool. Okay, Peter chops off the guy's ear. Jesus puts it back on. They go off into the sunset and finish up. I'm telling you, I've been in the military and I am in law enforcement. This is the modern day version of somebody pulling a gun on the police. Things didn't go well. It wasn't sanitized. It wasn't nice. If we're standing, there's a group of people, and somebody pulls out a gun, there's not a real sanitary situation taking place at that point. This was an intense, dramatic scene within that garden. You know, every, these were highly trained Roman soldiers, and this guy, Peter, pulls a sword. He figures, Jesus, you and I, we got this thing. I got the sword. You got the power. Let's get her done. And I don't know if Jesus just said, 
peace be still and froze everyone. <laughs> but I'm not, I know something had to have happened to stop what would have happened right then. Because I can tell you, if there are 10 or 12 cops around and somebody pulls a gun, things get wild at that point. <laughs> I, I had to call a pastor friend of mine and tell him one day that one of his members, we had arrested her. And uh, it was a drug situation, and we had got the car, and, and she and several other people were in it. And uh, I said, yeah, Claudia's daughter was there. And he said, oh, yeah, how'd that go? I said, she pulled the gun. He said, oh, does she look like Swiss cheese? I said, no. <laughs> it, it came close, though. I'm telling you, it was really close. It, it gets ugly quick. And so Peter's in this garden. He pulls out the... The sword, he cuts off the, the ear and he's ready to fight everybody there because he figures he has heaven behind him. I've got heaven on my side. God is going to bring the victory. There may be only a couple of, and we got one sword, but this one sword's going to be good enough because heaven is behind what I'm doing. And you know what Jesus does? Puts the ear back on. What? What? Hold on a minute. This isn't how this was supposed to come out. You're not supposed to put the ear back on. We're supposed to be cutting off more ears and take some heads with it. We're supposed to be fighting here. And all of a sudden, he just deflates. This is not the way it was going to go. Jesus is now bound and being taken away. And Peter is not understanding because this is not the plan. This was not at all what he had in his mind. He didn't lay in bed at night and dream about this situation coming out the way it it was coming out. Folks, we do this in our lives. We get things in our mind where we think we've got this thing. God has told me and it's going to be just this way. And God says, no, because I've got to fix you before I can make you ready to get anything done. And it's going to hurt when God kicks your legs out from under you. It will hurt. And, and Peter was like, but you said we were going to do this. We, you said you were going to use me. You said you were going to use me to build the church. And now he's being hauled away and I'm alone and I don't understand. And he's fearful and he's, and he's angry and he's wondering what to do, and Jesus is being interrogated, and he's standing around a fire, and a woman looks over at him and says, hey, you're one of them that was with him. All of a sudden, Peter's like, no, 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 it wasn't me. And you know, we talk about him denying Christ, and he did. In a sense, he betrayed Christ, but I'm thinking almost in his mind, he was there. He was saying, no, I'm not with him. This is not what he promised me at all. Have you ever been to that place with God where you said, this is not what you promised me? You promised me. You said it was going to be this way. And his faith was shaken and he was to the point, I think he was actually to the point where he was being somewhat honest when he said, no, I'm not with him. I'm not. I I wasn't with him. No. Uh Uh-uh. And he asked again and the Bible says that he cursed. Basically, in the, the Greek, the way it comes out is he basically said the equivalent of, I swear to God, I am not with that man. I swear to God, I am not with him. And then they 
Say, hey, you actually, you're one of them Galileans. You were definitely with him. And then it goes on and it says that he actually, and the wording is in the Greek, he swore an oath unto himself. He basically said, God strike me dead right now, but I was not with him. He was done. Peter had washed his hands. He was finished. He couldn't take it anymore. He said, I'm going fishing. I'm out of here. I can't handle this thing. This is beyond what I... This is not at all what I had planned. He... The only comparable thing I could think of... Anybody remember a couple years ago, Harold Camping? Remember him? He was a fellow who had a very large following. He had a radio broadcast and several things. And he picked out, was it May... Eighth or something when when Christ was going to come back, and he had it figured out. He could take into the Bible and convince you. He had it very convincing. He he had it laid out, but his people were so sure. The people in his congregation were so sure that they gave away their pets, they quit their jobs, they gave away their property. They just. They didn't care. It didn't matter because on that day, whatever day it was, I don't remember. I think it started in May and then there was another one in October because, you know, May was a re- just a reset. They didn't, that wasn't quite right. And so they gave away everything. Could you imagine the day after when those people woke up and they now had nothing in their bank account? They did not have a job. Their house that they're living in is now under somebody else's name. They look like utter fools to everybody around them. Can you imagine how absolutely crushed those people were? That's about the closest illustration I could come to how Peter must have been feeling that day when nothing went the way that he planned. And the Bible says that he, he rejected Christ and then he looked and locked eyes with Jesus. And at that moment, I believe everything flooded back from the day he was called to the, every single day that he followed Christ, every word that was spoken, everything that was taught, every miracle that was performed, every prophecy that was given, everything was laid out in that moment of time. And the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was a defeated man. He was crushed. Not because of what Jesus had done. Jesus had done exactly what he said he was going to do. He was crushed because Jesus didn't do what Peter thought he was going to do. That's the worst possible thing you can do for somebody is not follow their expectations. When they throw their expectations and you don't meet them. But see, this was a prophecy. Because Jesus said, Satan has desired to have you that he could sift you as wheat. But when you are converted... Feed my sheep. What was happening right here? Satan was sifting him. Satan was sifting. And God was allowing it because Peter needed this. He had to have this. God had to bring Peter to this point in his life so that God could use him and he could be useful and do great things for God. But he had to be crushed first. And this was a time when that in that interim waiting for that conversion. He could not be the rock of the church without being tried. He could not be the human rock without being tried. And so, Jesus is crucified. And we know the story. They go to the the tomb. The angel's there. The angel says, Go and tell the disciples and Peter. 
That's, those two words right there are tremendously in, impactful, right? Very important to that statement. Jesus knew that Peter had failed. Jesus knew that Peter had denied him, just like he prophesied he would. Jesus knew that Peter was crushed. He was, he, his faith was on the, on the ropes. He was about to turn this thing, turn it in. He was about to, to walk away from it. He couldn't handle it anymore. He was fearful. He was angry. He was bitter. And Jesus has an angel say, go and tell the disciples and find Peter and tell him from me, I'm coming. I'll be there. What an, do you understand how important that is to us? We think, you know, I've had a crisis of my faith and I think God is just done with me. God says, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. And we get to that point where we think, God, I, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm finished. I want, I, no, I don't want this thing. I can't, I can't handle it. I don't understand it anymore. And we think, God has, has rejected me. I know he's just rejected me. And God says, I'm not rejected you. You're having a crisis of your faith. Welcome. John the Baptist did too. And every other Christian who's ever lived has had crisis of their faith. That's what makes your faith strong. You lay around and not work your faith, it becomes weak. You know, if you want to have a big, burly, strong, uh, macho body, you got to get out there and pump iron. You got to do, you know, you got to do the work. You got to do those things. If you're going to be spiritually strong and your faith has, will be strong, your faith must be put through the fire. If you get everything you want, your faith will be worthless. But Jesus looked and said, don't worry about it. I came to give you life and I came to give it to you more abundantly. I came to give you an everlasting love. I came to give you a relationship. I came to stick with you closer than a brother. I came for you. And I am not going to leave you or forsake you. Jesus walks into the group that are, that are hiding. The Bible says they were hiding from the Jews. And Jesus walks in and he says what? Peace be unto you. God brings that peace in the midst of our worst time of trial and tribulation. When we think we can't do this thing anymore. You think about Thomas when he... He was to the point where he said, no, I've seen too much. I'm done. I, I've seen too much. Unless I see him, unless I actually touch it, I, no, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Did Jesus reject him? You know what Jesus did? He showed up and said, here they are. Check it out. Hey, put your hand right here. Check it out. It's real. See, we are we're so frail sometime in our faith. We struggle. People like Peter give me hope, give me encouragement. People like Peter who fail and fall short and have crisis of faith and want to quit sometimes give me hope because I realize God uses humans. He uses people and all their failings and all their weaknesses and all their troubles and all their trials and all their shortcomings. God uses people. Does that bless you? God isn't done, no matter where you're at. No matter where your faith is, God's not done with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will not abandon you because you're struggling. He will not, he will not allow you 
to continue with the character flaws that you have, he will have to fix you. And that fixing doesn't feel good. But he will work on you. He will mold you, make you, chasten you, correct you. He will do all those things because he has to do that to make you useful for him. Let's pray. Father, I look to you and ask God that you will show us where we are. I think all of us can relate to some portion of Peter's life, if not the whole thing. God, show us where we're at. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you will give us word in our mind and in our spirit of what you're trying to tell us and help us to understand God. We so often already determined our path and we just want you to follow it. But God, I pray that you'll bring us to the point where we're following your path. Teach us and show us, Lord. I pray, God, that you'll open our hearts to make us receptive to what your Spirit is trying to do to us and try to do with us and through us. Lord, I just praise you. Could you stand with me and could you just be in prayer?